Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor. On behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff and pastors, we're so glad that you're with us. Especially if you're here with us for the very first time, whether you're watching online or you're in here as a guest. We always invite our guests to come back at least three times. Everybody shout three times. And here's why, as I know, when you go to a new place, you don't always get the best experience in the first experience. So please come back. Uh, we'd love to see if we are your spiritual family. If you're watching online, do me a favor, like, comment, uh, share it, leave a review, put a little emoji inside that comment section. It's always great to see us interact online. Believe it or not, we have hundreds of people who do that every single weekend, and uh, it's just nothing but growing uh, with our online presence. So we're so glad that everybody's here. If you are in here as well, uh, take out your phone. Do me a favor, man. Just uh, check in on Facebook. Leave a little post. Say, hey, I'm here at church. And... Uh, Man, I'm learning about a, a more giants inside of uh, the Bible, and that's what we're in today. We're in a series called Running with the Giants, and really the giants is really just a, a, a wordplay on the characters of the Bible, and one thing I love about the characters of the Bible is that they're all pretty normal people other than Jesus. You know, Jesus was amazing, God on this earth, but most of the characters in the Bible were normal. They were like you. They were like me. They, did or, they were ordinary people who did extraordinary things during some pretty ordinary moments, and that's really what I love about that is that you and I can do that. Like, I'm like, I read the people in the Bible, I'm like, we can do, I can do that. Like, I can do that. I'm, I don't have to be uh, maybe a superhero or have, you know, overly, uh, you, you know, maybe talents that, that show off, you know, my abilities. I can just be a normal person and do some extraordinary things uh, on behalf of God and see just, man, God do some amazing stuff. And so we are today going to look at one of my favorite giants in all of scripture, and, um, and it's her name is, is Esther. And if you've never learned about Esther, it's a confusing book at some times. Some parts of it is a little uh, uniquely confusing, and it's actually pretty scandalous. And so uh, we're going to read some of it. I'm going to give you some context. Hopefully today we're going to do like an old-fashioned kind of Bible study, uh, Just, but I'm going to lead it. And so that's okay. And so hopefully I'll keep your attention in it because it's a fascinating book. There's a lot to do with it. But um, one, one thing I love about uh, these character studies is I always ask myself this question, what would they say to me? If they could have one thing to say to me, what would they say? And I think Esther's... Um, uh, statement to us would be basically, and this is the title of my message if you're taking notes, but I think Esther's statement to us would be that God has a place for you. That God has a place for you. And some of you don't believe that. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, I know he does, but I don't think he really does. You know what I mean? Like some of us, we go through life and we'll have these issues and we'll meet someone or we'll do them and we'll feel like, man, I don't know if I have a place. I don't know if I have a, God has a plan. I don't know if he sees me. Come on, how many of y'all been like that this week? I don't know. Does he see what I'm going through? Does he see the issues that I'm having? Because it doesn't seem like those things are all working together. I don't feel like I'm with him. I don't feel like he sees it. I don't feel like I'm walking in the right places. God, are you there? Where are you at? I thought we were together on this. I thought I did what you asked me to do. Come on, how many of y'all have had that conversation with God? recently other than me and you're kind of like wow I don't know if I'm going to make it but I love what Psalm chapter 33 says it says but the plans of the Lord everybody say plans come on look at your neighbor and say plans yeah we God has plans the plans of the Lord last forever and in the Hebrew there you know what that forever in Hebrew means it's fascinating if you go really deep it means forever and so it doesn't mean like it doesn't mean that it stops. It doesn't mean that if you here's what's funny about it is you and I believe that sometimes we can do things to stop the plans of God. Like you and I have I always tell somebody the other day, like they're like, what do you think, God? I'm like, you asking me a question about what God thinks? That's over my pay grade. Like there are things that you and I I love. I love that is when I'm walking in communion with Christ. That no matter what happens to me, the plans of the Lord, come on, they last forever. And I'm going to make it. Sometimes I just need to know I'm going to make it. You're going to make it in here. Come on. Some of y'all needed to hear that. You're like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. This is your last resort at church, right? And you just be like, 
if I got to go back to work on Monday, come on, somebody, and you're like, I ain't going to make it, you're going to make it. God has a place for you. Now, Esther, let me give you some context to the book of Esther. It's found in the Old Testament, so if you don't know where that's at, it's in the Old Testament, kind of first part of the book. And uh, Esther's a fascinating because it has four main characters inside of Esther. You've got Mordecai, who's Esther's cousin. You have Esther, who Mordecai adopted because she lost her parents. We'll see that in just a minute. And then you have King Xerxes, who is now the Persian king of the land. And you have his second in command, who he elevates, called Haman. Now, here's what's interesting about this book. It takes place 100 years after the Babylonian exile of the Jewish people. This is when King Nebuchadnezzar comes in. In fact, it talks about that. And then his grandson eventually takes over and loses it to the Persian Empire, who it winds up taking over a whole lot of people's empires. In fact, I'll show you a map of exactly what it looks like. This is how big their empire was at the time of Esther. I mean, it was huge. I mean, you go all up into Egypt. You got some parts of North Africa right over there, right over there in kind of the Europe, European areas, some parts of, uh, you know, what it was, you know, Asia. And so, so you got all these areas. And inside of the middle of this kind of empire, there's a little city. I don't know if you see it right there in the middle. It's called Susa. Everybody say Susa. It's the capital city of Persia. Now, this story of Esther tells about a tribe of Jewish people who stayed in exile in the capital city of Persia instead of going back home, where you can see in Nehemiah uh, or Ezra, they all went back home. Esther and their, his and her clan stayed in Persia, so they're still in exile. And you see, this is kind of their story of what happens. Now, here's an interesting fact about the, the book of Esther. God is never mentioned. Now, that's confusing for you and I because you're like, the whole book of the Bible is about God. So why would the book of Esther be canonized to the point where you would not hear even the mention of God working? Now, here's why. We'll find out a little bit later because I think that is a literary device that teaches us how to actually see God when you don't feel God. And like, what do you do when you feel like God was, God, I thought you were here, but I don't feel you. But like, I know in my mind, but I don't feel it. Like, what do you do? You think God should be there. Or he, yeah, you kind of think he's there, but you don't feel what he, we're going to get into that. This is going to be good. So Esther chapter number two says this is now there was a Jew who lived in the palace complex in Susa. His name was Mordecai, a Benjaminite. His ancestors had been taken from Jerusalem. The exiles carried off by King Jehoiakim, the Judah, by King Nebuchadnezzar. Again, I've told you all this, right? Mordecai had reared his cousin Hadassah, who we know as Esther. And since there was no, she had no father and mother, and the girl had a good figure and a beautiful face. Now, that's actually important because, you know, sometimes you think people, they, they Bible put stuff in the Bible, and you're like, why did the Bible put that? In? I'm telling you, it's going to matter here in just a minute. I'll show you. So, like they said, Esther, she had good looking. And after her parents died, Mordecai had adopted her. How do you find a, your place in Christ. That's what we're going to talk about. How do you find your place? If I have a place, how do I find it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, today that you're speaking to us. Today, you have a message. I know it's not from me. It's from you. And Holy Spirit, you take these words. You do something today. God, let us leave different. Change our perspective. Change our lives. Change our hearts. Let your spirit flow in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. How many of y'all have ever worked in the food industry? Raise your hand if you worked in the food industry. Come on, like you're proud of it. All right. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. It's because like, you know, when you're younger, you know, that's kind of you have two options. You have the food industry or you have no money, right? That's kind of how that's your two options. And so I decided that I wanted money. And so I went and worked in the food industry and, uh, you know, tried different areas. I was in a bagel shop at one time. I didn't do good because I hated waking up early. And uh, and so I was just wor working in different food places. But I got myself into the promised land of food industry areas, which I like to call 
call Red Robin. That's where I worked at when I was in high school. It was awesome. It was Red Robin. It was powerful. It was just like, this is the place. You know, that's where I gained 100 pounds. No kidding. It was awesome. I loved every pound I gained. And so it was awesome. And so burgers and fries and unlimited fries. I mean, I mean how many y'all like, come on, y'all, Red Robin, right? Red Robin. Yeah, exactly. Y'all love it, too. So, like, we we're all just getting out there, learning how to be in the food industry. And I was an expo, which means I was the guy stand at the pass, check the food, make sure I was the Gordon Ramsay of Red Robin. I was walking through it, making sure, does that fry look right? Let me taste it. That's good. All right. You got this stuff. Make sure it's right. You know, it's all pre-COVID. I don't even know what they do now. And so, uh, but, you know, I'm looking at it, making sure it was great. And so one day, my, my, my manager comes to me and he says, hey, we're opening up a new store. Would you like to kind of graduate up to to the next level, which would be a server. And I'm like, well, yes, I would. Because he's like, you'd like to make some more money? I'm like, yes, I'd like to make some more money. He goes, I think you'd be great at it. I said, well, thank you, sir. I will be great at it. Where do I start? And so I started training for the new restaurant. My dad happened to be work for this uh, company who was building restaurants at the time. So he was a superintendent. He knew the district manager and the regional manager and all these, the big wigs, you know, at the at the top, and so we we have grand opening night, but we before grand opening night, they do what's called the preview nights, right? Like where they're the soft launches. How many of y'all ever been to a soft launch of a restaurant? You gotta be careful with those because they don't know what they're doing yet. So you you think you're getting a free meal, but they're actually getting they're getting you, right? They're like you can't sue us, you know, you can't, you know, it's bad. So, you know, this is where they're teaching the training and they're trying to get everything going. And so I went to this soft launch as a server. And so I'm starting to learn how to serve. And so what was great about Red Robin back in the day, I don't know if they do this anymore because I'm scared to go to Red Robin nowadays, y'all, because I lost that 125 pounds that I gained. I'm scared. Every time I walk around, every time I drive by Red Robin, I kind of like twitch a little bit. I'm like, I can't, like, I don't know what's going to happen. And so like, I'm just nervous about it. But when I was working there, they used to make shakes and they didn't just give you the bottle with the shake, you know, where they put the shake in the cup, right? They gave you the shake cup on the side where they made the shake. Come on, somebody. Y'all remember that? Like, that's how you know the place is good when they give you the extra. Like, every time I see that metal cup, I just think of the grace of God. I'm like, he's more than enough. He's giving me double for my trouble. I turn into a Pentecostal preacher. I just start saying, thank you, Jesus, when it walks by me. I just do stuff like that. And so I'm a little tired today, God. Y'all, hang on. So anyway, um, what was I saying? Oh, so, so, so the shakes. So they used to make shakes, right? So the, the I get assigned the table with the regional and the district managers at my table. And I looked at my manager and I said, are you crazy? I don't know what I'm doing. And he goes, you're going to be great. I said, okay. So the, the regional manager, the highest up guy you can have in our area, he's right there, brings his wife. His wife decides to order a strawberry milkshake. And I said, no problem. I got you. Run. I get the shake. Pick up a tray. Mind you, I have never held a tray before in my life. Holding the tray, the shake is there with the double for your trouble. Come on, somebody. The head and not the tail shake. I'm like, yes, Lord. Grace upon grace. Blessing upon. I'm just walking with it. I'm excited for her. Okay. So I'm walking out and I get around and she goes right here, son. I said, no, I got I know where it's going. I promise you walk around the table. I looked down and there was a red basket. They used to give you things in red baskets or plastic red basket happened to be on the ground. I didn't notice it. I stepped on the basket. I slipped. The basket slips under me. I start to fall. And I realize at that moment when you're falling, you don't really care about what's going on other than you keeping yourself from hurting yourself. So my hands go straight to holding myself up. Well, the shake just happened to do what the shake is going to do when there's nobody holding it. It falls and it seems to fall not on the floor. It doesn't fall on the table. 
It doesn't fall onto another table. It falls onto the regional vice president manual manager's wife's head. Then the extra falls on her head. And all of the shake, if I'm lying, I'm dying. There was no shake on the ground. It was all in her hair. All on her hair, falling down her, and, and everybody at the table does what you and I would do. They do the collective, y'all know what I'm talking about, the collective gasp when you hear, y'all want to do it? On the counter, everybody gasp. One, two, three. That's what it sounded like on my regional manager's wife's head and I was like I don't know what what do you say you don't say so sorry doesn't cut it right you don't say something like hey can I help you you're not gonna help that can I get you a napkin napkins aren't going to help and at that moment I just did what you and I would all do I ran I got out of there I took off went to the stock room started freaking out you know I disappeared. I got out of there. And I realized in that moment, I remember saying this to, to God, because I talk to God a lot, you know, especially when bad things happen. Anybody ever talk to God? Like, sometimes I'll talk to God when good things are happening, but I always talk to God when something bad's happening. I'm like, God, I'm a Christian. Why did you let that happen? It would seem, I remember telling him this, it would seem like I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Has anybody ever had something like that happen to you where you said that in your head? You're like, if I was just one second, come on, earlier. If I was just one step to the right, that never would have happened. Come on, does anybody out? Come on, that's human. And so I'm like, oh, wrong place, wrong time. Esther's story is completely opposite. Esther's story is like this weird moment where she was in the right place at the in fact we're going to see one of her most famous scriptures you know what pastors don't teach this book because it's it's actually pretty scandalous and kind of scary like there's drinking involved like there's drinking in every ever other kind of like like obsessive drinking where they're like wasted all the time um there's sex involved there's murder involved like it's the worst soap opera ever but one thing we always teach is the statement that they say, uh, that we always teach is, 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 and you've probably heard this, you didn't even know this came from Esther, for such a time as this. So like some godly person walk up to you when you're having a bad day, you're like, don't worry, this could be just, you could be setting yourself up for such a, come on, you, this is a, such a time as this moment, ha <laughs> ha, you know what I mean? You get you all excited, that's where this comes from. And so what we're going to talk about today, how do you find your place in God? So you, you know the story, you set the groundwork, here's what's happening. They're, they're in the middle of a festival, a festival, that's not a word, a festival, a feast that actually lasts 187 days. They're raising money to fight the, 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 their kind of rival empire, the Greeks, because Alexander the Great is starting to attack and starting to challenge the Persian Empire. So King Xerxes is trying to raise money. You know the way he raises money? He throws a party and he starts drinking. And you know what happens when you drink too much? You do dumb things. And so he starts to do dumb things with his brothers and his boys, and they're all around him. And he's like, and they all start talking like, guys, do guys do this? Even now, it's the dumbest thing. It's like the locker room. They start talking about their wives and who's prettiest. And so the King Xerxes go, let me just tell you right now, I got the prettiest wife out of all y'all. You want me to show you? He says, go get Queen Vashti. So he calls his queen. And the Queen Vashti, she, she, she's a woman. And so she's like, I ain't doing that, you crazy person. Like, what are you talking about? You're going to parade me around. I ain't going to do that. So she doesn't come. So that offends the king. And not only that, because they're all wasted, all the guys around the king start going, well, look, if he, she ain't listening to you, 
Our wives ain't going to listen to us. You better handle that. And so what he does is he winds up making some decree. Literally, I'm not kidding you. It's in the Bible. He winds up making a decree that all men must be masters of their household and lay down the L-A-W on their woman. And so that's what we do when we start drinking too much. Guys, come on. Y'all know. That's what you do. And so he starts acting crazy. The queen doesn't come. He tells the queen, well, you ain't no queen no more. So he pulls the crown off of her head, says, you're no longer queen. And then he starts literally, and I'm not kidding you, he starts literally a, um, a beauty pageant to find his next wife. He starts, um, you know, Persia's next top model is really what he starts. He's trying to find the prettiest girl in all of the land. And this is what happens in Esther chapter. Y'all with me? Y'all want to see the Bible's cool. I'm telling you, all the Bible's crazy. Y'all think you need movies. You just come watch one of my sermons. All right. Esther chapter 2 says, Now the king was attracted to Esther more than any other woman, and she won his favor and approval. Ever say favor. Come on, like your old school preacher, say favor. Yeah, he wrote, she wins his favor, and, and then more than any other virgin, so he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Vashti, you are no longer queen. I'm giving you the ways to kind of get some, get some, get some, find your place in Christ. Number one is this, is you're you going to need some favor. You're going to need some favor. We don't even use that word no more nowadays. You know, back when I was growing up and I was kind of like in church and, and, and stuff, we use that, that word favor all the time. We even have funny statements with favor. We talk about like, this is one, maybe y'all heard this before, that when you walk around, something good happens to you, you don't even know why, you just go, you say stuff like, well, favor ain't fair. <laughs> hey, right? Come on, somebody, anybody ever heard that one? You're like, well, favor, <laughs> favor, come on, just favor, you know? And you know, you can't even say it without grabbing your, you had to grab the imaginary something in the air, and you just, if something pushes on, you go, favor. Come on, everybody just do that. Grab the, come on, grab it up and just go, favor. You just kind of, you just favor of God. You don't even know what happened. It's just like, you, something just happens in your life, and it just puts you in the right place at the right time, and something just happens. You just got favor in your life. You just walk around, you just, well, people just walk, and you just see how sometimes things just happen to people, and you just gonna look, and when you're a Christian, you say that word, you go, oh, they just got, favor on their life it's amazing to me in Esther's story that she had favor like so she just so happened to stay back while all the rest of her family left so she just so happened to win the Persia's next top model competition of all thousands of the women that came in oh oh so she 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 just so Queen Vashti just happened to not come at this time in fact, the story goes on to say that her cousin Mordecai just happened to be around two guards that were plotting the assassination of the king that brought him favor and ultimately brought Esther favor. So you look at all these stories and you're like, God, I wish I could be them. And here's what's so great about it. It has nothing to do with them in a lot of ways. It's God's favor in their life. Would I like to talk about favor? So like, you're like, what's favor? Here's some favor. To me, here's his favor. Favor is the hidden hand of God. It's hidden. You can't see it. The other day, uh, a few weeks back, I was on vacation I was uh, at the beach with my sons. I got a lot of beach stories right now because I, I was just there. But it's a perfect illustration. Uh, I was with my son, Winston. He's four. Little, you know, little boy. And he, he, was, he was in the water with the boogie board. And he was trying to get up on his knees on the boogie board. It's a little like when you, uh, have you ever been paddle boarding before? Y'all have been paddle boarding? When you get on that paddle board, it looks really easy. Come on. When you watch somebody go. And they fall off all the time, and you judge them, and then you get up on the paddleboard, and you're like, I can't even stand on that for five seconds, right? It's a little like that. And so I walk up to him and say, son, you want me to help you? And he goes, I got it, Dad. That's his new thing right now. Like his statements, he's starting to learn how to talk really, really well. I got it. I said, I can help you get on the board. He goes, I got it. I said, okay. 
see kids getting on and falling off and all this kind of stuff. And so you know what I did? I kind of got low on my knees. And I put my hand up under the boogie board and stabilized it. And so I try again. He couldn't see that I was holding it. And I go, you could do it. You could do it. He goes, okay, Dad, I got it. He gets on the boogie board. He goes, and you see his eyes light up. And he was like, oh. and he got on his knees and he goes, look, I did. I said, son, you did it. You did so good. What was I doing? I was holding, this. I was holding the boogie board. It was hidden. It was hidden. He couldn't see it. He thought he, he, thought he did it. And you know what I did? Because I was trying to be a good dad. I said, you did it. Good job. Sometimes God does that stuff in our life. And the thing that you thought you did was actually God just holding up your life. He's just holding it and stabilizing it. He's kind of like, I got you. And you know what's so cool about God? God doesn't tell you, you didn't do it. Let, let me show you on a screen where I did it. And you just getting the credit. He goes, good job, son. You're amazing. Daughter, you did so good. Keep going. Because God's good like that. And he's just a hidden hand of God. He's just got favor. You just got favor. Can I just speak favor over your life for a minute? You got favor. You got favor. God's just holding your hands. He's just holding your life up. He's just stabilizing it. When it, You should have fallen over. You shouldn't have fallen. Have, have you ever noticed? You know what's easy? You know the easy way to find favor in your life? When you look back. Some of y'all been around longer than, you know, than, than Moses, right? You'd be like, I've been saved since the, the, the dawn of time. You know, you're like, I've been, I'm telling you right now, you don't know a time when you didn't know God. Come on, right? Y'all know? And you know what's so great about the season of life that you're in? You can look back on your life and go, let me just tell you all the times why I shouldn't have made it and I did. That's why I love talking to kind of, you know, my, my grandparents. I like talking to just people who are years ahead of me. And, and, and they just, they, they love to tell you stories about where they missed it. God held them up. And sometimes you and I just need to remember and go back and listen. Homework time for you all, right? Like, go back and write down all the ways and all the times you shouldn't have made it. You shouldn't be married. You shouldn't have no kids. You shouldn't have no job. You shouldn't be have a house. You shouldn't be have clothes on your back. You shouldn't have uh, food in your, in your fridge. You, you shouldn't have friends around your life. You shouldn't have a good church. You, you shouldn't be inside of this city. You shouldn't have health on your body. Come on. You shouldn't have made it where you are now. You shouldn't have gone there. But somehow God stabilized you with his hand, and all of a sudden you are where you should be right now. So you, you should be. Yeah, this is, this is, this is for somebody in here. So we go back to the story in Esther chapter 4. Now between Esther chapter 2 and Esther chapter 4, here's what's crazy. Now it gets scandalous. New character enters the scene. Haman, the ugly villain of the day. He walks in and is now elevated to the number two status by King Xerxes. And this guy is crazy. He's not even a Persian. He's an Agagite, which means he's a descendant of the Canaanites. Now, if you know anything about scripture, the Canaanites were not helpful to the children of Israel. They were enemies of them. So he did not like the Jewish people. In his blood, he didn't like them. They were enemies. They didn't, he didn't like the Jewish people. And so when King Xerxes elevates Haman, at that point, he's paraded around to be bowed at. No kidding. Gets to Mordecai, and Mordecai goes, I ain't bowing to you. I ain't bowing to you. That obviously makes Haman upset. Haman finds out he's a Jew. And he says, oh, really? He says, not only am I going to try to take you out, I'm going to take out all the Jews in all of the land. You will be exterminated by this date. And he rolls some dice. The Bible says he rolls some dice, finds the date to exterminate all of them. And he says, by this time that day, and he gets the king to sign off on it. So now we're in trouble if you're a Jewish person in a foreign land. Come on, somebody. You are in trouble. 
And it gets to the point where he sees Esther, his cousin, who's now queen. He says, you got to do something about this. And she tells him, if I do, I could be killed. Because in Persian law, you couldn't go up to the king unless you were summoned. And if you did that, you could be executed. And Mordecai has a conversation with Esther. We pick it up in Esther chapter 4. He says, do not think. He's telling Esther. He says, don't think. Look, I know there's a problem with it. But don't think just because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. See Queen Vashti's story. For if you remain silent this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. He says, look, I believe God's going to deliver us. I want him to deliver us through you, Queen Esther. But if you don't do it, this is going to be your demise as well. And she says this. He says, and who knows but that you have come to a royal position. Come on, you the queen. There's our famous statement for what? For such a time as this. The second way you're going to find your place is going to take some courage. Like she needed some courage to confront the king. And, and what's funny about courage, courage gets a bad rap sometimes. I feel like you either got courage or you don't. Anybody ever feel like that? You're like, well, you're either afraid or you got some courage. And that's not true. The most courageous people who've ever lived had all kinds of fear. They just had one ounce of courage more than their fear. Just one little piece. Just something they could grab onto to take one step. Courage to me is not the absence of fear. Courage really biblically is really being able to take a step towards the thing that you are afraid of and just take your fear with you. Just take your fear with you. Just hold it. Just hang on to it. Just okay. You're like, well, no, I got to be fearless. No, you don't. No, you don't. You just got to take your fear with you. Don't let your fear control you. That's a diff. There's different. That's different. Um, there's a... Um, part of of my life that uh, I'm getting a little nervous about, if I'm honest. Um, I got teenagers that are like teens and they're growing up to become teenagers. And I was not the greatest teenager. Okay. I just, I did a lot of crazy things. I lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico when I was a teenager and there's not a lot to do other than get in trouble. So that's how you have fun. You get in trouble. And so, um, but like, like I did crazy things when I was a teenager. My church did crazy things when I was a teenager. We would take church trips, camping, and we would do things like play capture the flag at night around barbed wire. Like, I'm not kidding you. Oh, we thought that was fun. Um, we, we would do things like go cliff diving. We did cliff diving. I told our youth leaders, I'm like, we are not cliff diving as a church. Just so you know, don't take no kids. No cliff diving. There's no parental release in the world that will ever get us out of something happening. All right. It's just dumb from the beginning. But we would do that. We would go cliff diving. I remember watching a cliff diving. You know what's funny about cliff diving? Cliff diving, when you're not the actual cliff diver, you judge the person diving. That's what you do. When you're sitting in the stands and you're watching them up at the top, because it's way shorter when you're down at the bottom than when you're standing up at the top looking over the edge which you're about to jump. And what you do, it's obligation. It's, you're obligated to do it. When you're watching them jump off a cliff, you're looking up at them, and what you do is you harass them enough to where they jump. That's what you do. That's your job. That's what the role you play in the cliff diving area. And so when they get up there, you go, jump go you baby you're holding up the line (laughs) hurry up you know and so what they do is they walk up to the front they're like they're real brave right everybody's real brave till they get to the edge they're like i got (gasps) no never mind (laughs) never mind it's all good and then you harass them enough until they basically feel shamed off to the cliff right that's what you do you shame them off the cliff that's what you do and so that's what cliff diving is at least back when i was doing it 
And um, I remember I was getting up there one time, so I walk up, and I'm like, I walk, I do the same thing. I'm like, let me show you what's up, you know. So I think my wife was there one time. I'm like, I'm going to show her. She, I wasn't married to her yet, so, you know, we're 15, 16 years old. And when you're 15, 16 years old, all you're trying to do is just flex for the girl. That's what you're trying to do. Like, oh, I'm a man, lion, Mufasa, let me show you. Walk up there. So I walk up. I just chest out. I'm going to walk this right now. I got to the edge. I'm like, nah, man, it's cool. It's cool. I walked back, and my friends were up there, and they were like, bro, go jump off that. You know what I'm saying? When you get around the wrong people, they be just encouraging you to do the dumbest things. They're like, they have no skin in the game. If I died, they wouldn't, it wouldn't affect them at all. But they're like, go ahead, dude. Stop being a punk. Go. Go. And I'm like, okay, okay. I'm like. <laughs> and so I started thinking in my mind in that moment. I'm like, well, maybe I can like fake a sickness or something. You know, I'm like, oh, am I feeling good? Like, oh, I hurt my leg. I, I can't, if I fall off and I can't swim, I hurt my leg. And so um, I get to the edge. And I remember one of my buddies goes, he goes, hey, man, just, dude, just take, just get to the edge and just take one step. He goes, you just take one step. He goes, it's not like a, a bunch of things. You got to run and jump. You got to do a bunch of climbing. Goes, just, just take a step. If you take one step, you'll get to where you're trying to get to. Just get, get to one step. I see. He said, I'm afraid. And he goes, I know. That's what makes it fun. He goes, take your fear with you, Aaron. Go jump, jump. That's what makes it fun. He goes, if it wasn't fearful, it wouldn't be any fun. It wouldn't have any, there's no drama to it. He goes, go have fun. And it kind of made me loosen up a little bit. Come on, y'all, just. Just shift in your in your seat just a little bit. Just kind of loosen up, cause some of y'all just little, y'all just too y'all too, you're too square. You too just mm, you know, just loosen up a little bit, right? You, you some of y'all too square with the world. You know, the life is too hard on you. You just oh everything's you just tense. Like you all get a massage. Just loosen up. Just and he goes, just it's all good. And I'm not kidding you. If I'm lying, I'm dying. This is what happened. I was like I was thinking, and I was about to take a step when my friends pushed me off. No kidding. Like he literally pushed me off. <laughs> And I'm like, as I'm falling down, I'm like reversing in my mind, like all the friends and the decisions that I had made of like pulling these guys into my life. I'm like, I should have never invited him. I just never should have invited him. And what's funny is I didn't fall. I didn't push out far enough. And so I hit part of the wall going down. And so I'm scraping the wall going down. I'm just mad at life and God and my friends and the wall and the rocks and the water. I hit the water, and I remember getting out. But I remember what he said was so good. Is he said, sometimes you just got to just get out there and just take a step. That's what, to me, what courage is. Courage is just take a step. And don't let your friends push you off the cliff. I mean, that's the two <laughs> signs of the story. But I think at some point, like, you just need to have some courage to go out and ask that girl out. Come on. You need to have just some courage to take a step and go apply for that job you're afraid that you might get rejected. And sometimes you need to take a step and just go and, and, and do the thing that you know you should be doing but you haven't done yet. You need to take, come on, get, have some courage to take a step and go have that conversation. You know it's going to be difficult might turn on you a little bit, but that's okay because you can handle it because you got to do it because God's called you to do it and you have some courage, but a little more than what you got fear inside of your life. And I think when you do that, you're going to take a step into your place. Somebody say amen. amen. The story continues, Esther chapter 4, verse 15. So she says, look, I'm going to go do this, but this is going to be crazy. So her response back to Mordecai is this, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me and do not ink or eat or drink for three days, nights, and day, and my maids will fast just as you do. The third way you're going to find your place, and I'm almost done, is you're going to have to actually have some reliance on God. I know this is not like a, um, like I don't get much amens. I didn't get any, any amens on the first one when I said that. None of y'all amen me in this sermon when I said that. You're like, some of y'all need favor. Everybody's like, amen. Yeah. But when I say reliance on God, you're like, wait. What? And, and, and reliance on God means, okay, watch. 
He moves, and then I move. So, I don't move unless God moves. One of my pastors told me, he said, so I asked him one time, I said, I don't feel like I feel God. I feel like I need to do something. He said, well, has he asked you to do something else than the last thing he asked you to do? I said, no. He goes, well, then you don't move till God, till God moves. So you don't, you don't take it into your own hands. You, you, anybody else like me, will you take it in your own hands? God, God seems to be late a lot. God's late to me. He's never, he's never on time in my life. Like, he's just late. I'm like, hey, God, I need you here by this time. And he laughs at me, I think, sometimes because he'd be like, I ain't on your, your time. I'm on my time. I'm like, my, my watch is, he goes, I don't care about your watch. Apple doesn't control me. Like, I do what, what I want to do. And so God's late to me. And so because God's late, what I tend to do is I go, let me help you. Let me help you. And, and what happens is, is when you don't wait on God, all you do is recognize yourself. As, you recognize yourself as God. Because then when God doesn't move and then you move, all you're saying is, okay, I don't need you then. And what Esther said to Mordecai was fascinating to me because she was the queen. Come on. She got some power. She, she got some. Come on. It's not like she didn't have some way to maneuver, but, but she said, I'm going to fast and I'm going to wait and I'm going to be. A, I like what fasting to me is like a desperate cry for God. If you, you ever fasted before, whether you fast food or fast something, but like you could fast, you can, lay, you can wait fast. And fasting is like saying, God, you're in control. My body's not in control. And I worship you because you're God. Not even me is God. And I have a desperate cry for you, God. What, what are you going to do in my life? And, 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 and if, you, if you don't recognize these moments, you can ruin what God's trying to do in your life. I had a sticker um, thing with my son. My, uh, my son Winston loves Spider-Man. He loves Spider-Man. He's been Spider-Man since he was one years old. He just loves Spider-Man. And we bought him a sticker pack one time, and he had stickers. And I said, son, I'm going to give this to you, but don't, don't do it. I got to go grab something. And I was going to get him a sticker book to put the stickers in. By the time I'd come back, he had ripped all the stickers off, and they were all ripped apart. And he was sad. And I said, why didn't you wait for me? He says, I was excited. I was excited. And he goes, and he was crying. You know, he's like, all the stickers are ripped up. But how many times do we do that in life? God gives us something. And then we rush it, and we don't wait for him. And he comes back to us to help you do what you were originally called to do. And then you're like, and you look at him and crying like, God, why didn't you help me? And he's like, you didn't wait on me. We have lost the art of waiting on God. Like, I, there's a lot of things from the old school church that I like, kind of like, I'm like bummed out about. I'm like, why do we have to wear three-piece suits all the time? Thank God we got delivered from that, right? Or pews or whatever, you know? Like, I'm just so glad we got comfy seats. But there's some, there's some of those old school, old-timey preachers and old school churches had, had a way to wait on God where they would just be like, we ain't moving till God moves. And you were just like, what? Like, why would you wait on God? He, he, they just believed that God was with them. So I, 
I like that about it. I'm almost done. I'm done. I'm done. Last story continues. Esther chapter 4, and I'm done. She said, when this is done, I will go to the king even though it's against the law. And if I perish, God, what an amazing statement. If I perish. I, I, I was telling my wife this. Esther reminds me so much of her. She just believes God for the things that God has told her. And, um, you know, you would think like, well, you're the pastor. Aaron, shouldn't you have the faith gift in the family? Uh, I thought so, too. <laughs> talking to God about it. One day he's going to answer me. My wife has got the faith gift. She believes that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. And I need to work up to it a little bit. So I don't know if anybody else like me. I need to work up to it a little bit. I need to pray a little bit more about it. I'm like, God, is this you? Please. You know, or, or I step into it a little bit. I step into it. I'll do the last one. I'll get in and mess with it and mess it up. And 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 and, and sometimes you just gotta have a little bit of faith. But the last one is to, to I like what she says. I'm gonna go to the king to find your place. It's gonna take some initiative. I'm done. I'm closing. It's gonna take some initiative. You have to do something. 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 You're gonna have to do something. You have to do something. And then you have to do something after that. And then after that, you have to do something. And then when you're done doing that, then you have to do that. Do another thing. And then you have to do it again. And then you have to do something again. And then you have to do it again after that. And then you have to do it. And then when you do it done, and when you're done with that one, then you have to do it. And then you have to just you have to just just you have to do it again and again. And then you have to do after that, you're gonna do it again. And and what I've noticed is that we've gotten really really spiritual with God and really really lazy with Him at the same time. And so what we'll do is we'll go, I'm praying about it. And we got really good about going like, oh, that's good. And I'm not saying you shouldn't pray about it. But if you've been praying about it, or if it's told you the answer in the word, or you've, you've see, some of us are funny because we heard God speak to us, but we haven't done it yet. So you don't need to pray about it. You just scared. Or, or you're just lazy. Some people in here just you just be lazy. Like there's enough excuses at some point. At some point, stop. Like I like what St. Augustine said. He said, Yeah, pray like it depends on God. And then yeah, work like it depends on you. So you gotta work. Right? Yeah, like work. Like work. You gotta actually use what God gave you to do what God asked you to do. I was wrestling in the state championships in high school. I was a terrible wrestler. I don't know how I got there. I think my coaches paid the people off to get me up there. I was terrible. I got to the coaching thing, and my parents will tell you this. this is crazy. It's a crazy story. I got to the high school state championships, and both of my matches, it was a double elimination tournament. Both of my matches, I ran out there, and for three rounds, I went on, I was on my hands and knees, and I just said, if I stay here and I don't get pinned, I, I, I'll do good. After the second match for three rounds, I just stood there, and the guy was trying to, like, he couldn't pin me. So to me, I'm like, I win. I'm winning. I win, even though I lost. My coach took me to the back hallway, said a lot of very colorful language <laughs> that I can't repeat, called me some names, said some things about me, some things about my mom, my character, you know, <laughs> just kidding. But just a bunch of stuff, you know, he just started making, just, just what's wrong with you? And he said something funny. He said, Aaron. I would have rather you walked out there and tried something and got pinned and failed because I could have fixed that than you sitting there and doing nothing. And he goes, but, but I was just trying to be. He goes, no, but nothing. You were lazy. He said, next time when you have an opportunity to do something, do it. Push me. And he walked out. <laughs> so I was in high school, you know, and. 
I think God would, would communicate something like that to us. Not exactly like that. But God can fix your mistakes. He can redeem what you did wrong. He can't redeem laziness. The Bible says you got to put your hand to the plow. Put your, some of y'all just waiting for the, waiting for the harvest. You didn't plant no seed. There's, a, there's Bible verses about that. And so you and I got to be careful that we just, and we don't be lazy. So Esther's story ends. It's kind of crazy, you know. Haman's plot was revealed by Esther. Haman winds up getting executed on the very spike he was going to kill all the Jews on. And you see Mordecai elevated and celebrated and to Haman's level even inside of the world. In fact, they wind up making a decree that the Jews can now fight back. In fact, they celebrate today. It's called the Festival of Purim, which really just means lots, which means they just celebrate the idea that God, God, God was faithful to deliver us from the hands of the enemy who tried to exterminate us yet again. Like that's never happened in human history. And they celebrate it because he's so faithful. So the question you have to ask yourself is, is when God is not present, what is he saying? What do you do when you feel like you're stuck in your nine to five, your day to day? What do you do when you just feel like, God, where are you? I read this story. It was so good. So when the tra World Trade Center tumbled to the ground on that dreadfully dark day, more than 3,000 people lost their lives, but a few who were buried beneath the rubble miraculously survived. Two of these were Will Jimeno and John McLaughlin, a pair of Port Authority employees who had responded to the attack and were on the bottom floor as the South Tower fell. Trapped without water and breathing smoke-filled air, both men had little hope to survive. Yet as they lay under the mountain of debris, something was stirring inside of an accountant in Connecticut, Dave Carnes, who spent 23 years in active duty in the Marines. Come on, somebody. Marines, military, watching the scene play out on TV like the rest of us. But more than just allowing it to trouble him, he decided to do something about it. He went to his boss, told him he wouldn't be back for a while, went home, put on his fatigues, and then drove 120 miles to ground zero, arriving by late afternoon. While rescue workers were being called off the site, Dave was able to stay because of the clout and credential of his uniform. Finding another Marine, the two joined forces, walking the pile of debris together, seeking to save a life. After an hour of searching, they heard a faint tapping on metal pipes. It was Will and John who had been trapped for nine hours. This Marine, who had been working working as a spread, on a spreadsheet just uh, hours before, found them, began to dig, and freed these two men out. Of the 20 people, the only 20 people who were pulled from the rubble to safety, Will and John, were numbers 18 and 19, all because Dave Carnes took off his suit. Put on his fatigues. He rolled up his sleeves. He stepped into despair and darkness. He helped save a life. At some point, I believe this with all of my heart, God has a place for you. But you don't have to stop. Take off your suit. Take off what you put on to look good to people. Come on. Put on your fatigues. Roll up your sleeves. Step into the darkness. Pull out somebody into light. Can you stop? I'm going to ask you this on behalf of your pastor and, and, and your church. Please stop going to church. 
What'd you learn from Pastor today? Well, he told me to stop coming to church. Please stop going to church. Please start being the church. Please stop putting posts on Facebook like you Christian and then posting right after that something divisive. Please stop acting like you're a Christian when you really aren't. You, you use it for yourself. You use it for your glory, but you don't use it in the way that call, being called to a Christian is being called to in life of literally of a life lined up with the suffering of Jesus. And if you're not serving at the church, not this church, if you can't serve here and you feel like you're not part of the vision, I'm begging you, find a church you can. I'll help you. I'm friends with most of the pastors in this area. They're good, godly people. They love the Lord. But if you find this place your home, you shouldn't come one time without thinking, how can I roll up my sleeves, put on my fatigues, and pull someone from darkness to light? And I've talked to people who, who have come to me and said, Pastor, thank you so much for letting us serve here. And I'm like, I'm so honored I get to serve here. Because church comes alive when you serve in the house. It just does. And you'll find your place when you walk into that favor. And you get a little bit of that courage. And you just start relying on God. And come on, somebody, you just do it. Just do it. You don't have to pray about it. He already told us. And Esther will sit and talk to you when you don't feel God. He, he, the story of Esther really shows us. He seems to use people's ugliness and mess. And let me just tell you, Esther and Mordecai and all these, these are not people we look to for morality. You look to God for morality. So they're not celebrated as gods. We just looked at them because they did extraordinary things as ordinary people. And God seems to weave his plans that are forever through all of the mess in this life. Let him weave his plans through your life, even if it's messy.